Well, good evening. Thank you for coming and joining us for Bible study. And those uh, maybe watching online, thank you so much for that. Let me ask you a few questions this evening as we get started. How many of you have washed your hands today at least one time? Your hand's not up. I don't want to shake it, okay? Uh, how many of you, well, I'm not going to ask you that, but uh, probably most of you have also probably taken a shower in the last 24, or a bath in the last 24 hours. That would be my guess. Uh, probably some of you uh, have done some laundry in the last 24 hours. Yeah, I see some head shaking. How many of you have washed or waxed your car or truck this week? The last week. All right, several of you have. Have you ever thought about how much water and effort we put into trying to stay clean? But it doesn't last very long, does it? I mean, tomorrow, guess what? You're, you're going to have to take another shower tomorrow. You're probably going to have to wash some more dishes tomorrow. You're going to have to wash your hands again tomorrow. Uh, many times I'll come to church with a clean shirt on, and when I go home for lunch and and, you know, trying to help with Sawyer, he, you know, he gets candy or whatever on me and I have to change shirts. Uh, the car wash that you labor so much for to get it clean and shiny, next week it's going to be dirty again, right? I, I love the story. It's a true story. I love the story. It was one of our, one of our favorite family stories when our kids were smaller. Do you all remember the Greenville, uh, was it the Greenville? No, the Greenville Braves. Remember the Greenville Braves? and the, Where was that stadium? Somebody help me. Where's that stadium? All right. All right. So uh, when our kids were little, we took our kids to that ball game. We had a maroon Chrysler van. Nice looking van. And, uh, and I had all three kids. They were little at the game. And we went to see the Greenville Braves. You know, in those single leg kind of a teams, that they have, between innings, they have games and giveaways and that kind of thing, trying to keep the interest and bring the people in and we were sitting there watching the middle of the game. We are sitting there watching those, the announcer between innings said, Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we're going to, to recognize the dirtiest car in the parking lot. And if you have the maroon Chrysler van license number, blah, 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 come by guest services for your free car wash, courtesy of blah, 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 car wash, you know. And we looked at each other and like, I think that's our van. <laughs> And sure enough, we walked, you know, we walked to get services, we got our free ticket, and we were laughing about it. It, it was embarrassing, but it was funny. And, and then we went out to the van, and somebody had written in the dirt, wash me, you know. I was like, well, I got the free ticket, I can do that now. Uh, it, it's amazing, we live in a dirty world, and it really is a struggle, trying to stay clean sometimes in this dirty world we live in. And really the same thing could be said about your walk with God. You and I live in a very corrupt world. We live in a dirty world. Uh, we live in a crazy world. Can I get an amen on that one? We live in a corrupt world. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is a daily struggle to stay clean in this corrupt world we live in. There is the quagmire, that's what I'll call it, the quagmire of social media that just infuriates you and, and invites you to be a part of it. Uh, there, there is the mud holes of temptation that are everywhere. Whether you turn on the TV or turn it on your phone or turn it on the computer, there is just the, the mud holes of temptation everywhere. There is the garbage of a perverse society 
that tries at every turn to normalize and legalize their godless perversion. We live in a dirty world. And every day is a struggle to stay clean. But it's interesting that God has given us a name, or God has given a name to the effort to stay clean. And that name that God has given us is holiness. Now don't let that word turn you off. It's not a word that we use a lot in our society, holiness. Uh, in fact, that, that word used to scare me when I was little, and the reason it scared me was the people right up the road where mom and dad said, well, those are the holiness. And they were talking about a, a church, you know, that I didn't know what it meant. I just knew that on Saturday nights they had some kind of commotion going on in the basement of their house, you know. And, and it, those were the holiness, you know. And, and so that word holiness has, has, for me, has not always been a comfortable word. Holiness sounds almost unrealistic. Holiness almost sounds impractical. Holiness sounds somewhat restrictive and maybe not very enjoyable. It sounds to me, because of the background I grew up with, it sounds to me almost like a holier-than-thou attitude. It's interesting how Christians have tried to stay clean in a dirty world over the years, how they've tried to practice this concept of holiness. If you read church history, uh, you know that Christians have wrestled with this idea of how do you live a holy life in a dirty world? Uh, some have adopted a, a monk lifestyle, haven't they? You, you can read about those and they, they go away and they live in a close-knit close community away from the world's reach. They try to isolate and insulate themselves away from the world. They live in that, that monk society. And then there are others who have gone away and tried to go to a certain area of the country or a certain island or whatever and try to develop a utopian environment where they're trying to have a world without worldliness. And so this group of people get together and they have this, quote, utopian environment. But the Bible describes a very different approach that you and I should take. As believers in Jesus Christ, listen to this, this is so important what I'm about to tell you. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have a mission in this dirty world. We have a mission in this corrupt world. Therefore, we cannot afford to kind of get outside of it or try to escape it. We, we have a mission in the middle of it. God calls us to live different in the corrupt world in which we are living. We talk about this, we'll talk about this more in a few moments, but the very word, if you're taking notes there, I don't think there's a blank, but you might want to write it down somewhere. The very word that we translate as holy, the, the Greek word there that we translate as holy, the, the, the root meaning of that is different. Again, I don't think there's a fill in the blank there, but you just might want to write it down that the root word for holy in the Greek language is different. A holy person, in the Bible's perspective, is not an odd person, but they are different from those who are around them who don't know God. A holy person, his life is lived differently, or her lifestyle is different from the friends that may, may not know Christ. So here's what we're going to be talking about tonight. How do we maintain that lifestyle when the world around us is always tempting us or pressuring us to compromise. How do you maintain a holy lifestyle? How do you maintain a godly lifestyle when 
Everything in the world is trying to tempt you or to press you into compromise. Thankfully, the answer is found in the Word of God. And I want you to go with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. We're working our way through the entire book. And tonight we, we begin in verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at least at verses 13 through 16. We may even get as far as verse 21, but at least verses 13 through 16. Peter says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. In these verses, Peter paints a picture of God's vision for your life and mine. I hope you do have a, an outline for those of you that are watching here in the sanctuary or, or you're part of the service tonight. I hope you got one of those outlined because I want to talk to you about God's vision for your life and mine in this dirty, corrupt world in which we live. And God's vision for your life and mine is that we would live a holy life in this dark place we call home. So, if you have your notes, follow along. Number one, holy living starts in the mind. How do we do this? How do we live this holy life God, that God envisions for us? Well, first of all, holy living starts in your mind. Peter says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. This is the first of several imperatives in the book. And by imperatives, what I mean by that is a, a command. That when you read this in the Greek text, it's actually a command that Peter is giving. Not a suggestion, not an idea, not a thought, but a command that he's writing out to the believers. And the command that he gives is this. Prepare your minds for action. Peter is saying, in light of the great salvation that God has given you, lavished on you, it's time to get serious about your salvation. Peter is saying, in light of the world that you're living in, it's... It's time to take responsibility for the life that you live in this world. So prepare your minds for actions. And that's why the next phrase says, prepare your minds for action and be what, church? Be self-controlled is the next phrase. Other translations may say, be sober-minded. Any of you, your translations say that? Be sober-minded? I think the King James translation says, gird up the loins of your mind. And be sober. Now, he's not talking about not drinking alcoholic beverages. Though I, I, I agree you shouldn't drink alcoholic beverages. But that's not what he's talking about with this word sober. In this context, it's not referring to avoiding drunkenness. It means to be clear-headed. It, it implies the ability to focus fully on what's most important. Focus fully on what's most important. I think that's on your, on your notes there. In other words, pay attention to what you're doing and how you are living. That's what he means by be sober, be clear-minded, be clear-headed. Pay attention to what you're doing and how you're living. In other words, what, put this on your notes. You're not going to live a holy life by accident. You have to live that life on purpose. This lifestyle, God's vision for your life is that you live a holy life. But you're not going to do that by accident. 
You have to live that life on purpose. And so that's why Peter says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now that, that phrase is an interesting phrase. Set your hope fully on, on, on uh, what do you say, the grace that will be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's talking about that time when Jesus comes back, the second coming, when he comes back and your salvation is completed. And you're taken home to be, uh, to be with the Lord. So he says, set your mind on this. That there's coming a day when God's going to bring finality to everything. Set your mind on this. There's coming a day when you won't be living in this dark, corrupt world. Set your mind on this. Be self-controlled. Be sober. Be alert. Pay attention to what you're doing and how you're living. Because you don't live a holy life by accident. You live a holy life on purpose. Number two. God's vision, as we talk about God's vision for your life, he says, a holy life comes from living an obedient life. If you put that in the notes. A holy life comes from living an obedient life. He says in verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Peter is reminding his, read, his readers of what they were before they trusted Christ. And Peter says, an interesting phrase, Peter says there was a time when you lived in ignorance. Now that's an interesting phrase. He's saying there was a time when you liked the knowledge you now have. He doesn't mean that you're stupid. He wasn't saying to the, there was a, he's not calling them dumb. He said, there was a time, you know what the word ignorant means by the way? Ignorant simply means uninformed. There was a time when you were living uninformed. There was a time when you didn't have the knowledge that you now have. You see, when, when you sinned before you came to faith in Christ. Now, make sure you understand the timeline here. When you sinned before you came to faith in Christ, you sinned out of ignorance. You didn't know any better. You didn't have a reference point for holiness because you were a sinner. So before you were saved, it was natural for you to live a sinful life. Right? Before you were saved, it was natural for you to make sinful decisions. Before you were saved, it was natural for you to participate in sinful things. You did not have a holiness reference point to go by. You were living in ignorance. You were uninformed that this was wrong. That's why sometimes uh, your lost friends and neighbors and co-workers, they, they just don't understand why you do what you do. They don't understand why you, you live with the standards you live with because they don't have that reference point. They don't have Christ in their life and so they're living in sin and they can't understand how you could live differently. But those who, who know Christ as Savior, you're no longer living in ignorance. But there was a time before you came to faith in Christ, there was a time that you lived in ignorance. You did not understand sin and holiness. Now, maybe the best way to explain this to you is, uh, I'm not going to pry into your medical history, but I, if anybody here has had heart surgery, bypass surgery, you can probably relate to living in ignorance. Uh, let me tell you what I mean by that. My, everybody in my family, except me, everybody, every, my mom, my dad, my two brothers, everybody in my family have had heart issues, heart surgeries, heart attacks, defibrillators, um, uh, 
name it. They, they, they've, they've all had it. Multiple surgeries. Everybody in my family had. So I'm very familiar with how this works. Okay, what I'm about to tell you. I've seen it played out many times in my family. There was a time when, I'll just use my dad as an example. Did you know that when I was growing up, my mom made homemade biscuits three times a day? Amen. That's right. We had homemade biscuits, fresh. Now, somebody asked me one time, said, well, did she just make a big batch and you eat it throughout the day? No, no. We had fresh homemade biscuits for breakfast, then fresh homemade biscuits for lunch, and then fresh homemade biscuits for supper. And we had it every day. We were living in ignorance. You know? I mean, do you remember, those of you who have had heart attacks, you can remember the good old days, right? You can remember when you could eat fried chicken and country ham and green beans with fat back. You remember when you used to eat a half a pound of bacon every morning and uh, fried potatoes. Uh, your ignorance led to indulgence. And your arteries got clogged. You were living in ignorance and your arteries got clogged up. And then you had a heart attack and the surgeon did bypass surgery. And then he said, okay, now... You're going to have to change the way you eat. You can no longer eat the way you once did. Now you know better. Now you know that the country ham's not good for you. Now you know that you shouldn't have biscuits three times a day. And by the way, after his heart attack, the biscuits stopped. You know, it, I, had to, <laughs> I had to suffer because my dad had a heart attack. I didn't, get, I didn't get homemade biscuits after that. You know, the basic rule after you have a heart attack, the basic rule is if it tastes good, spit it out. You don't get to eat that anymore. Peter is saying to the believers he's writing to, there was a time when you sinned because you didn't know any better. There was a time when you lived in ignorance. There was a time when you didn't understand what was happening in your life. But now, now you have a new heart. Now you have a new Lord. Now you have a new Master. So now, you see, watch this. Once, you used to sin in ignorance. But now, when you sin, it is out of disobedience. That's a key statement. Before you came to faith in Christ, you used to sin out of ignorance. But now, you sin out of disobedience. So if you want to live a holy life, here is where the rubber meets the road. Verse 14, read it again with me. Follow along. Verse 14, this is where the rubber meets the road. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Put this on your notes, fill in the blank. Holiness is not a matter of being pious, it is a matter of being obedient. It's, a time to stop, it's time to stop saying that we're defeated by this sin or we're defeated by that sin. We're not defeated. We are simply disobedient. You see, you live a holy life by choosing to live an obedient life. You live a holy life by choosing to obey what God says. I, I, I like this quote from Tozer and I put it on your notes. And the quote is this. The holy man is not one who cannot sin. A holy man is someone who will not sin. You see, if I could boil it down to you, do you know the reason you and I live a holy life? 
or, or the reason we're called to live a holy life? We live a holy life because we're, we serve a holy God. Now walk through the scripture with me here. The reason you live, you're called to live a holy life is because you and I serve a holy God. Look at verses 15 and 16. The logic here is so simple and so true. He says, as obedient children, verse 14, as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but, watch this, verse 15, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because, because I am holy. This is your motivation. This is the reason for living a holy life. The argument here is logical and simple. Children inherit the nature of their parents. I mean, have you ever, have you ever maybe it's even in your family. Uh, you, you, got, you got dad and then you got, you got the little guy that, that's so much like dad. You, anybody got one of those in your family? It's like you, you got Jim and then you got little mini Jim, right? Or, or maybe it's the lady and, and the daughter. But, but, or sometimes, you know, he acts like, like his father or she acts like, her father or whatever, and you say, well, I tell you what, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We understand that. As, as We understand that, you know, we have the same nature. We have the same tendencies. We, uh, we, we act like our parents. You know, sometimes they used to call me little James, you know, because I would act like my dad. This is what Peter is saying. You have a heavenly father who's holy. He's not sometimes holy. He's not kind of holy. He is holy. Therefore, if you are his child, you should live a holy life. Now, that doesn't mean perfect. Until you and I get to heaven, we're never going to live a perfect life. But let's dig into that word holy a little bit deeper. I told you earlier, the word holy means what? Do you remember? Different. Holy in the Old and New Testament, it means different. In Hebrew and in Greek, it means different. And, but think about this. I, I want somebody to see, see if you agree. God is different from us. Would you agree with that? God's in a class by himself. Would you agree with that? He's holy. He is different. In fact, write down these references. This is not on your notes. This is extra. Write down these references. Or this reference, rather. 1 Samuel 2, 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. Let me read it to you. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. The writer was saying, listen, there's just nobody like God. To be holy is to be other or to be different in some special way. Now, this, this is so interesting to me. The things that are associated with God, when you read about things in the Bible that are associated with God, and God is, remember, God is holy, God is different. And when you read in the Bible, the things that are associated with God also become holy. Example, Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on what? Holy ground. Now, it was just ordinary dirt, wasn't it? Yeah, it was ordinary dirt. It was just ordinary ground. Until God stepped on that ground. And because God who is different, God who is holy, was stepping on that ground, 
a theophany, by the way. We talked about that on Sunday night. How, because God was there in the flame, stepping on that ground. That ground became holy. It became different. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. You see, the ground was not holy in and of itself. It's holy because God made it that. And that's true for a lot of things that you read about in the Bible. The temple. The temple was described as holy. It was made by humans. It was constructed by men. There was nothing special about it except that God's Spirit dwelt there. And God made it holy. The Sabbath. In some ways we can say, well, you know what? The Sabbath is not a whole lot different than any other day. It's just another day of the week. I mean, you got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I mean, it's just another day of the week. Except the Bible says the Sabbath is holy. Yes, it's another day of the week, but God made it different from the other days. It's holy. It's different from the other days. And the Christian is to be hagias too. The Christian is to be different. The Christian is to be holy. We're to be different from other people. By the way, the word holy can also be translated set apart. Because something is different. Watch this. This is so good. Because something is different, it is set apart for particular use. It is separated. It is separated from the commonplace. And it is consecrated to the Lord for His service. It's different. It's hagias. The word holy in Greek is hagias. It's hagias. It's different. It's set apart. The temple, for example, again, talk about the, the temple. It's set apart for a particular use. It, it's, not just, it's a building, yes. It, it's, it was constructed by men, yes. But it was a building set apart for particular use. It was set apart for God. Therefore, it was hagias. It was holy. The Sabbath, we talked about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was set apart for God for particular use. It was a day dedicated to God. Therefore, it is holy. It's not just different, it's set apart for a particular reason. And you as a Christian are not just different from other people, but you are set apart for a particular reason. To bring glory to your Lord and Savior and, to con- and carry out His mission in this corrupt world in which we're living. Listen to me, holiness is not about you just being better than everybody else. Holiness is about you accomplishing God's vision, God's mission for your life in a corrupt society. And he says, watch this, you are to be the light of the world, you are to be different. You are to be the salt of the earth, you are to be different. That's why Peter writes what he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, and I like this last verse, be holy because I am holy. Let me walk through that with you for just, think of it this way for just a moment. Did you know that the central characteristic of God is that he is holy? I mean, if you were to describe God... The, the, the one word that you would use to describe the central character, the essence of God, is that He is holy. In fact, do you remember in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah has this, this vision? 
And he has this vision of God. And the angels, the seraphs, are declaring what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. They were declaring the essence of, of who God is. They were worshiping God for who He is. And they were declaring that God is holy, holy, holy. He's not just holy once. He's holy, holy, holy. The central character of God is holy. Now, walk with me. Listen to me. Three things here I want you to get. The central character of God is that He's holy. Well, now let's think about Jesus. Jesus is is the holiness of God in flesh. Right? He's the holiness of God in flesh. That's why He could walk the earth. And, And the Bible says He was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. Why? He was holiness in flesh. That's why he's the perfect, perfect mediator. Look up here. Perfect mediator between a holy God and sinful man. He took on human flesh, but he was holy. He was set apart. He was different. He was without sin. The central character of God, he's holy, holy, holy. Jesus is holiness in flesh. And so God sent his Holy Spirit to live within us when we're saved. So guess how God wants us to live? God's vision for your life and for mine is to live a holy life in this dirty world. Which brings me to the third point on your notes there. And this may be the hardest part of the study, so make sure that you tune in. This may be the the one that you need the most. So make sure that you tune into this. The one that I need the most as well. Here's the third point. A holy life touches every area of your life. To truly have a holy life, it has to touch every area of your life. I told you this may be the hardest part of holiness because we want to compartmentalize our lives. We, We got church life. And we got school life, and we got business life, and we got family life, and we got social life. And, you know, we've got our lives divided up in all these little compartments. We act as if what we do in one area is not related to what we do in another area of our lives. Actually, in North Carolina, I actually had a man tell me one time, so let me tell you something, preacher. This is business, and this is church, and those two things are separate. It's like, you don't understand the gospel. For the Christian, there is no such thing as this is business and this is church. For the Christian, you cannot compartmentalize your life. Not if you want to live a holy life, a God-honoring life. Because holy lives, or a holy life, should touch every area of your life. Because, listen to me, if it doesn't touch every area of your life, it's not a holy life. You can't have a life that's kind of dedicated to God. It's either dedicated to God or it's not. It's not a life that's, well, I'm dedicated to God on Sunday. No. Your life's not dedicated to God. You're going through the actions on Sunday. You're going through the motions on Sunday. Your life's not dedicated to God. Now, let me show this to you in Scripture so that you don't think I'm just making this up. Verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, watch this. So be holy on Sundays. 
No. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in your church life. No. But just as he who called you is holy, watch this, so be holy in all you do. When your hands touch the keyboard on that computer, be holy in all that you do. When you pick up the phone to call somebody, be holy in all you do. When you're tempted to gossip, be holy in all that you do. When you turn on that computer, be holy in all that you do. When you're working with that customer and and you really want to just mm, tell him or her off, be holy in all that you do. When you have a disagreement with your neighbor and he's cussing you and you want to just give it right back to him, be holy in all that you do. Holiness is not a compartment in your life. Holiness has to touch every part of your life. So, how you do business should be shaped by your desire to live a holy life. How you do your marriage should be shaped by your desire to live a holy life. How you do church should be shaped by your desire to live a holy life. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, I want you to put your finger there and I want you to go over for just a moment. Um, Go over to the left. I want you to find 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're almost done here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, um, verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. That's one of those verses that you should at least mark in your Bible. And maybe one of those verses that you should perhaps memorize. So that you can try to live it out. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Not to live holy some days. Not to live holy you know, in my little compartments, but to live a holy life. Someone said that God would be less than God if He called us to a lesser standard. Did you know that every area of your life should be affected by your relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what this is talking about. That every area of your life is affected by Jesus Christ. Now, get your notes ready. Let's finish this up real quickly. Uh, Write this on your notes. Holiness is not a matter of never sinning. Put that on your notes. Holiness is not a matter of never sinning. If that were the case, it would be an unreachable goal for all of us. Holiness, put this on your notes, is a matter of ready repentance when we do sin. Ready repentance when we do sin. 
Uh, we seek to live for God every day. We seek to live for God every way. But we know, you know, I know that we'll fail. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin, there, watch this. There should be a quick repentance. Quick repentance. Put this on your notes. Practical holiness is rooted in repentance. I told you earlier about Isaiah. Remember Isaiah saw the Lord in the temple and the vision and, and, and the angels, the seraphs were saying, holy, holy, holy. But do you, do you remember Isaiah's response to that? Isaiah's response to that was repentance. Woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. To repent literally means to change your mind, to turn around and turn away from that sin. And Isaiah, when he saw the holiness of God and experienced that, he saw the sinfulness of his own heart and he quickly repented. He quickly repented of the sinfulness in his own life. I'll close with this from Erwin Lutzer. Uh, here's what he said. He said, although we become Christians instantaneously by faith in Christ, knowing God and developing faith is a gradual process. There are no short, shortcuts to maturity. It takes time to be holy. There are no shortcuts to maturity. It takes time to be holy. Well, I hope that helps you to understand God's vision for your life. God's vision for your life is that while you live in this corrupt world, you live a holy life so that you can be on mission for Him. Live a holy life in every area of your life so that you can live on mission for a holy God. I want to say that one more time, and I promise this will be the last thing I say. If you are a Christian, God's goal for your life, God's vision for your life is inescapable. And here it is. I'll say it for the final time. Live a holy life in every area of your life so that you can live on mission for a holy God. And all God's people said, Amen.